Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the East Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, your host. Sitting across from me, Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. All right. Looks like we solved our echo problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Round two is going much better. That's right. Um, so, Greg, it's uh, been a couple weeks since you and I have actually been together doing yes. this. Uh, you were suffering for, for Jesus um, all the way down in uh, which part of our lovely country? It is Sunset Beach, North Carolina, which... Uh you know, it's sort of like saying uh, why we don't tell people from, you know, out of state we're from Bel Air, Maryland, or Harford <laughs> County, Maryland, or Baltimore County. We say Baltimore to locate it. Right. So I say Myrtle Beach. It's the uh, Sunset Beach is the most southern beach in North Carolina. I've been going there since I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's really cool to uh, take Lisa and the kids there and sort of continue the tradition that my parents and uh, my my mother's parents started. Right. Yeah, cool. My, my grandfather, true story, I think in 1965, mm-hmm. drove up and down the coast uh, uh, between Pennsylvania, uh, all the way through Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South mm-hmm. Carolina, to look for a quaint beach town huh. that he could start a tradition with. Oh, wow. And he found Sunset Beach. I think it was incorporated in 63. Oh, nice. Nice. It's brand new. So, look. Cool place to go. Yeah. We had a great time and saw no sharks. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say because uh, actually people might be becoming more familiar with it because wasn't that one of the concentration of sharks? It, it, it was. In fact, uh, if you watch Shark Week on Discovery Channel or, or Nat Geo, whichever mm-hmm. channel that's on, uh, there's a huge great white shark named Pearl that they tagged last mm-hmm. year that swims up and down the coast pretty much from Maine to Florida back and forth. And I think she was one of the pregnant great whites and they actually – tagged her so they could see where she pings and she pinged kid you not 400 feet <laughs> off of the sunset beach pier right so that was on my mind when i was out <laughs> ankle deep in the waters of the carolina coast but it was a great trip man. good good well welcome back we're excited um and you know as always you and i could sit here and talk forever but we do have a great guest with us today joe thorne uh joining us uh joe say hi to everyone out there what's up everybody now, uh, Joe, we want to give you just some time here to go ahead and talk about your friends and family, just some of the things that you do where you are. And actually, to be honest with you, it's escaping me where you are right now. So, St. <laughs> Charles, Illinois, am I right there, Joe? And that's right. We're 30 miles right. west of Chicago. All right. So, yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I will, um, I well, listen, first of all, how about you put that bed of music down from the opening so I have some cool beats? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was um, I was I was uh, raised here uh, in the suburbs, western suburbs of Chicago, and uh, non-Christian home, uh, but good parents. They loved me, were encouraging, and uh, but they could not answer the big questions that I had even from a young age. Why are we here? Why do people die? What's the point? And uh, as I began to look for those kinds of answers. I found my way into the occult and some pretty uh, ignorant things and didn't wind up ever really hearing the gospel or stepping foot into a church until I was 17. And uh, for a year, uh, God brought conviction and even despair uh, for my soul upon me. And after I graduated from high school, I was converted while reading the gospel of Matthew in my bedroom. Wow. And ever since then, there has just been a, a, a growing burden to know Christ, uh, to know the, the living God of the universe, and to, and to make him known and to make disciples. 
So I uh, went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and it was uh, there that I met uh, my best friend, uh, Jen, and we were married right after we graduated. Um, went to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, made, made some great friends down there, and then came back up to where I grew grew up and uh, planted a church. So wow. that's that's the, the, the short story. We've got four kids, uh, Catherine, who is 14, Elias, who is 11, and Madeline, who is seven, and Killian, who is five. Nice. Wow. And and Joe, in that vein, uh, we, we we were talking about this right before we went on air, but you, your voice is intact, even though you just took your oldest daughter to the Taylor Swift concert this weekend. And well, yeah, impressive. man. I mean, well, that's you, you have to attribute that to just the kind providence of God, because <laughs> when you're shaking it off, with fifty-five thousand <laughs> teenage girls. Wow. And screaming your heart out for Tay Tay. <laughs> the only the only reason that I'm able to have this conversation is because of God's kindness and mercy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, Joe, would uh, uh, Joe Thorne ever find his way to a Taylor Swift concert without a teenage daughter? That's the question. No. Yes. <laughs> I'll, you'll find me at uh, death metal concerts, yes. but uh, not so much at uh, at pop. Wow. Music. Joe, I'm That's just gonna funny. I'm gonna put myself out there and just tell you and uh, take the great risk of losing any respect you may have had. Not that you had any for me to begin with, but my daughter uh, sort of got me, you know, uh, into Taylor Swift, and I find her music incredibly enjoyable and catchy. And I have just learned to say I'm unashamed to say that. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I dig. I like all kinds of music, and I like Taylor. I don't like her country flavored junk but yeah other than that i know i like her pop music quite a bit i think yeah. she's i think she's really talented yeah i do too and her 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 country they seem behind her to me aren't they? maybe she did some oh, yeah. but i mean the she's first done. couple of albums yeah i mean her first song i think was tim mcgraw mm-hmm. uh was her first hit and then it had the twangy right. sort of slow roll and then as she's you know evolved she's definitely a uh, pop diva and uh, mm-hmm. and and writes some some good stuff and uh great performer isn't she that's what i've been told yeah, I mean it's no Iron Maiden concert, but right. it is. It is. It is. It is quite. It is quite the spectacle. It was. Uh, it was very good, and she's got pipes. I mean, she can sing and go live, and uh, and th- that's the mark of a of a good artist. Well, and wow. for and for those listening in, Joe, that have never seen you or or a picture of you, just just Google Joe Thorne. You will see this manly, uh, strong, bearded dude, and I want you to check him out and then picture him at a Tay Tay concert. Listen, I got you know, the tattoos and everything. Uh, you you got to realize those pictures that make me look tough are always shot from like down below. I'm I'm five foot nothing. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a tiny little guy. So uh, the pictures are deceiving. I go to conferences and they go, "Oh man, I thought you were taller." <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mm. Wow, that's that's what you get. You're getting a uh, little uh, little dwarf. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. well, I always say I look thinner in uh, pictures, and that's scary since I don't look very thin in pictures. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what my camera adds thirty forty pounds. That's what I say because we, we we've got a big TV, Joe, in our church. You know, which uh, uh, is sort of above me uh, when I preach, and it's a ninety inch yeah. sharp TV screen and high def, and uh, I always. Remind our church. Remember, the camera adds eighty pounds. Uh, <laughs> right, I've been told, right. so I kind of, I kind of roll with that. Um, so we we actually do want to um, move into why we have uh, Joe here um, because Joe, you have uh, such a great knowledge of so many different subjects, actually. Um, but first of all, we wanted to mention um, you've written two books. The um, 
first one we're going to get to in uh, just a moment. The second one you wrote was um, Experiencing the Trinity. Uh, and that one we actually just want to mention briefly and tell our um, listeners, I almost said viewers, listeners, um, to go ahead and check out uh, the interview you did uh, on the Reformed Pubcast because you guys spent a good bit of time talking about that one, correct? Yeah, yeah, we did. It was a, it was a, it was a good talk. It, it was a great podcast. I, I heard that. In fact, I just want to say for the record, Mm-hmm. Those guys listen in, Nathan, and you will back me up on this. Yep. We had Joe Thorne on our wish list yes. <laughs> before that came out. Yes. Remember I, I said, yeah, we'll we'll talk about his book on the Trinity. Yep. And then sure enough, like two weeks later, <laughs> Joe Thorne, Reform Pubcast, book on the Trinity. See, they eavesdrop on our planning I know. meetings. That's oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt they're copying the talent. I mean, <laughs> they clearly want to be like us. I'm pretty sure they hadn't read my book. And uh, I'm pretty sure they were like, mm, but, I, but they, I liked them. But yeah. I think you guys, I, I'm try, you know what? I just feel like you guys are more in it. Man, I love it. Yeah, let's, let's really promote that. I, I like Joe that. Thornton says we're in it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that on the cover of our podcast. Well, podcasts don't have covers. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll you know. Um, so, Joe, we do actually want to bring that up, though. So can you just briefly summarize um, what that book is about, Experiencing the Trinity? The shortest way to say what it's about is um, it's it's about meditating on uh, our triune God in his three persons and how God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how God as the three persons and the gospel help us to overcome our fears, our anxieties, our afflictions, our temptations, and our doubts. And it was... Really, I mean, I, my first book is very similar. It's a collection of meditations. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book was really um, written out of a, a really difficult period of time in my life where I struggled with incredible, crippling fear and anxiety, yeah. which has not been my thing throughout mm-hmm. life. So um, I had uh, essentially a, a, almost a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got so bad that um, even as I was praying and, and seeking the Lord and repenting of sin and trying to figure out what was going on with this anxiety, that uh, I felt like I'm probably not going to be able to lead the church anymore, even though it was going well. Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe I need to resign. You know, it, it was getting it was getting pretty dark. And through a number of things, I, I, I was able to I was led really by the Lord out of that time of darkness. Um, through, like I said, a bunch of things. I think we'll wind up talking about that. Mm -hmm. And so this book is primarily made up of uh, journal entries that I've edited and expanded, of course, but of -hmm. journal entries where I was preaching to myself about who God is and what he has to say to me as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, I mean, we're not just buttering you up. That's an excellent book. Uh, I read it last month. Um, It's Crossway is your publisher for that one, I think? Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, excellent, and um, yeah, and the book was uh, really good, Joe. So thank you just for writing it as a gift to the church. And I think books that come out of um, dark periods, uh, I, I almost feel guilty reading because the reader's getting such benefit. And there's so many books like that. Uh, I read a book by I think it was John Feinberg years ago who taught at Trinity uh, Divinity School called Deceived by God, and it was sort of his personal uh, wrestling with his wife who was dying. Uh, who I believe has passed on since. Uh, obviously, C.S. Lewis, uh, A Grief Observed, mm-hmm. right. uh, is one such book. And um, it really, 
I almost feel guilty because I, I can tell sometimes, wow, this is written out of a, a dark place and such sweet wine comes to the reader, but it's such a, a bitter cost to the author, which is often the way God works, of course. But uh, I just wanted to thank you for that book. And I did want to say now, brief, brief plug, what we're going to do tonight. Uh, you know, Usually when we have a published author on, we uh, give away some of their books. The way we'll do it tonight, uh, we'll just put it in here now. Uh, we are going to say if anybody wants to write a iTunes review for the These Go to Eleven podcast, uh, you know we've mentioned that in the past. We're not trying to get glory, so to speak, but it does put the podcast in a more accessible um, place as those um, uh, stars rise. They don't even yeah. have to be good reviews. You can tell us we're the worst <laughs> podcast you've ever listened to. And believe it or not, we'll, we'll help you uh, by giving you a book. Uh, it's going to be an ebook, and uh, we will send you either um, Joe's most recent book that we're talking about on the Trinity mm-hmm. uh, or his previous book, Note to Self, yeah. which we're going to talk about in more detail tonight. So write us a uh, iTunes review, uh, email us, uh, or go to our Facebook page, say, hey, dudes, wrote a review. Mm-hmm. Here's my name. It's coming out. You know, it normally takes 24 hours yeah. to post, and we'll send that to you. So. Anyway, Joe, thank you for writing that book. Oh, my pleasure. So, uh, Joe, again, like Greg just said, we want to talk about um, your first book that you wrote, Note to Self, uh, which essentially is just uh, quick little devotional uh, pieces almost, right? It's you know just these little um, one, two-page uh, devotionals set up that you could read 50 of them, correct? Uh, I think there's 48 in Note okay. to Self, but yeah, both Experiencing the Trinity and Note to Self are essentially uh, the same format, mm-hmm. uh, daily readings and uh, arranged around particular passages of Scripture. And what was um, what was your thought process in, in writing Note to Self? Why, why write that book? Well, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not uh, – I, I didn't have – any thought that I would approach a publisher about writing a book. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just not, I just don't think of uh, doing that sort of a thing. Um, so I was a blogger and I, like I still blog somewhat and um, uh, Justin Taylor at Crossway liked a couple of blog posts that I did called note to self where I just addressed myself with scripture. And he said, have you, did you ever think about writing a book uh, about this? And I said, well, I've always liked writing. And so we started talking about the idea and he said, well, come up with an idea and then, then talk to me about it. So uh, I began to think back about this issue of preaching to ourselves, and that became, especially at the time, uh, a very popular idea, you know, preach the gospel to yourself, we would hear. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to write a book that would help people understand what it actually means to preach to yourself, and not just preaching gospel, but also preaching law. Mm-hmm. You preach law and gospel, and both serve a great purpose. And so, uh, the in, in the introduction, I explain why we need to preach to ourselves and what it is, and then I give you know forty eight examples of of how to do that with scripture. And so, it can be read as a devotional for yourself, which uh, I, I hope that's encouraging to people. But what I really wanted uh, to achieve was to help people see that preaching to yourself doesn't have to be like you know painful in-depth bible study but it's meditation on the word of god applied directly to our hearts and our lives and all of our issues in ways that um you know lead us closer to our our confidence in jesus yeah joe that's why i think that book was what we really wanted to talk about tonight 
I have definitely been on the preach the gospel to yourself, for lack of a better word, bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nathan, you've probably heard me say that a lot through the years here. And uh, I think I first encountered that phrase, Joe, I don't know when you did. I'm pretty sure it was Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, again, those first two or three chapters are, are, are really, to me, worth the whole book. Not that he doesn't share some great things after that. But uh, he's the first one I ever read that really used that particular phrase that, you know, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, but it's for mm-hmm. believers. Um, you know, Paul told the church at Rome in chapter 15 that he longed to come see them so he could preach the gospel to them, not right. advanced Christian discipleship, not, you know, uh, three, you know, three tips and a prayer and that sort of thing, but really just continue to unfold the glories and the uh, you know, marvelous implications of the gospel. So that resonated with me, as I think it does a lot of preachers. Uh, but I will admit that <laughs> this is where I tend to fail. My wife always points this out. Uh, like maybe a lot of pastors, I'm not great on application. I I tend to um, underemphasize application, maybe to a fault. I'm always afraid of being legalistic. Uh, that if I give an application, it might be my application, but not yours or yours, Nathan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, if somebody were to say to me, "Yeah, great," I'm with, what, what does preaching the gospel to yourself actually look like? I, I really want to do that. Um, I would admit I would uh, struggle. And I remember this book came out what seven, eight years ago, maybe. I'm guessing 2011. Okay, so four years ago, yeah. I'm, right. <laughs> time is just you know a lapse for me. But that book, I remember when I saw it, they advertised on Gospel Coalition or or eight two nine wherever I first saw it. Ordered it right away because I could tell just from the little blurb you were going to do that. And and uh, I'm just uh, I've got your table of contents here. I read this uh, uh, probably in 2011, but the um, you. Uh, do part one, the gospel and God. I'll just name a couple of the uh, chapters. You know, some are just very simple. Give thanks, rejoice, fear, um, be humble in your theology. Part two, gospel and others. Stop judging, stop pretending, love your wife, love your husband, uh, forgive. Uh, part three, the gospel and you. Hate well, which is interesting. Die to sin, you are proud, stop complaining. And I just have to say, they were so helpful, and anybody that is listening in. If you don't have this book, grab it. I, I'm convinced it will help you cultivate in a very practical way what preaching the gospel to yourself actually means, not just in a kind of ins, you know a generic, inspirational, um, Sunday morning preacher sense, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I'm good at. Preach the gospel to yourself. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, but, <laughs> but do it. But do it. Do it soon. But I would say this book really walks you through it sequentially and... Uh, if I can ask you, Joe, talk a little bit more about the law, because a lot of Reformed Christians uh, debate the role of the law, and we don't have to get into that, and I wasn't really prepared to, so I could just make up fancy words if you want to go there with me and sound somewhat credible. But um, I like the fact that you say law and gospel. Can, can you unpack that for us a little bit, what that right. means in terms of uh, applying that to our lives? Sure, and you know, even for all of the debates that are you know in that are on at the popular level right now um what should not and really cannot be debated in reformed circles in in my opinion is uh is the the basic use of the law because our confessional standards whether we are presbyterian or baptist uh you know lay lay out for us uh the use of the law mm-hmm. and so um and the reformed traditions have a specific way of talking about it uh 
But without getting into those uh, particulars, uh, what I did in Note to Self was I talked about the law having three uses, and this somewhat mirrors uh, the confessional standards, but uh, that the law first shows us what is good and right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The commands of God, the will of our Lord, that's a good thing. And uh, he didn't have to tell us, but he did tell us. He doesn't leave us in the dark. We know exactly what he wants us to do. So the law is good, and what's good, it it shows us what is right. Second thing that the law does is it shows us what's wrong. And what's wrong is me. The law is not the problem. Uh, I am the problem. I I see what the law says, and um, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do those things. And so the law... Uh, exposes me. It's a mirror that shows me that I do not measure up. So the law shows us what's good, God's ways, what's bad, me and my ways. But then the law also shows us what is needed. And what is needed is righteousness, which I lack, and redemption, which I desperately need. So in that sense, uh, the law is always pointing us to our need for Jesus. It is always showing us that we don't measure up. And so uh, we look to Christ for salvation and deliverance. And yet, the law remains a rule for godly living. It is still good, and God calls us to walk in that way. And so, you know, you can't understand the gospel. You can't understand how good the good news is unless you first understand the law. You have to understand uh, what God requires, how we fail, and then the gospel is sweet and, and, uh, and satisfying for us. But then we still have to deal with this idea of, all right, so now— I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, and, and, and God has accepted me as his child, and, and he will forever love me. He has chosen me before the foundations of the earth, and no one can take me out of the hand of Jesus. Now what? And now what is, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of imperatives throughout the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament as well, but throughout the New Testament that call us to action as justified believers. Yeah, thank you, Joe. That's great. I mean, you are uh, far better at summarizing books than I am. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> honestly, just to have all that at your fingertips uh, is uh, is very, very good. And I, um, I, I ask you about the law to go back to something I raised earlier and uh, not something we sort of talked about in our, our little prep conversation, mm-hmm. but I'll just throw this out at you because I'd love to get your take. Help me just as a fellow uh, pastor, preacher, communicator of God's truth. Uh, I, I'm preaching on First Peter right now in our church. We just got into chapter four. Cool. And you know what a great book. Obviously, so much on suffering and uh, you know God's purpose in our trials, and that's that's what I'm talking about this week. And there's a, a good deal about holy living and uh, living not for ourselves, but living for Christ. And uh, it's there for me. It's a great challenge for me, Joe, because that's not my go-to. Uh, you know, it, you know. It's not my go-to impulse. In other words, if I didn't commit myself to expositional preaching, I'd be terrified of the diet I would give our church. I think probably every message would be justification, the grace of God, etc. Um, be fair, Greg. You would rip on health wealth. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's my other hobby horse, and I would rip on health wealth every other message, which I have to, I have to be very cautious about to make sure it fits the context and that sort of thing. But I uh, and I would talk about the Orioles and the Ravens. That's no right. Doubt. Um, but this is forcing me in a very good way, first for myself in my own um, day-to-day living before God, uh, but obviously to serve my, my church and as you do uh, uh, each week, week in, week out. How do you deal with preaching holy living, which the Bible does certainly call us to, 
without getting so specific that you become inadvertently legalistic? If, if you have any thoughts on that. Well, sure. Um, it's, it's, it's not legalistic, meaning it's, it's not extra-biblical rules placed upon people, nor is it calling people to obey in order to be accepted right. by calling people to obey the word of the Lord. That's not legalism. And so um, I think we need to be specific in our application or what I like to refer as implicate, refer to as implications of mm-hmm. the text because I'm not good at application, but I feel like I'm better at implications. Interesting. So, yeah. so I like, well, here, here are some things that this should mean in your life now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, where the scripture is silent, I think it's important for us to be very cautious and generally silent ourselves, generally. But uh, I also think that we need to affirm uh, very clearly that the scripture, whatever the scripture calls us to. So, you know, when um, Jesus says, if your, you know, your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and we all know what it doesn't mean. We generally think we like, oh, what means deal with your sin as radically as it's necessary or whatever. So uh, to say, well, you have to get rid of your TV. Um, everybody here needs to get rid of their TV because it just it promotes sin. Sin comes out of it, I think would be a, a great mistake. But I don't think it's a problem to say, hey, if if you cannot control yourself in this with this particular gift, right, um, then you either uh, need to first deal with your heart, which ought to be the, the thing that you go to right away. Right. But if you can't deal with your heart at that level right now, then go ahead and get rid of what's causing you so much trouble. I, I don't think saying something like that is is legalistic as much as it is challenging people to. Um, to respond to the word of God in ways that are appropriate for their life. I, I just, I'm not afraid to say what scripture says. So um, I, and I, I guess I don't feel like I cross that boundary. And, and here's the thing, like I, I'm not afraid of the law and I don't want my people to be afraid of the law Yes, uh, because you, you, you're, you're forgiven. You're justified. You're accepted. You're God's son. So now when he gives you his law, when he gives you his rules, like it's, it's a delight. It's a joy. It should be, I should be excited to read God's word and to meditate on it, right? We're called to meditate on it. I, so I should be called. Now, I don't say you have to, you know, read the new passage of scripture in the morning and in the evening and, and memorize so many verses. Like, I think you start getting overly specific in those ways. You're sure. running into mm-hmm. trouble. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I like what you said about implication, Joe, because I do think, I, I think I'm probably better about that as well. Um, yeah, application can get tricky. I mean, application, I am finding there are people that love it. Uh, I am convinced, and I've got some friends that tell me this, if I just ended every message with four things you should do uh, and got pretty specific, the irony is some people gravitate to it. Because mm-hmm. I think some people want to be told, just just tell me what to do mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. I can be a good Christian. I think that urging people to live, and this sort of leads into your second book, uh, in that Trinitarian life of God that he invites us into and live in relationship to him is much more challenging. You know, I, I, uh, the, um, the example I always give on this, Joe, is when uh, my wife and I were first married, uh, the first year of our marriage, this is going back to 94, 95, she was collecting a couple of those old precious moments figurines, you know, at, uh, <laughs> were popular, those things. And she right. liked them and she liked certain ones. So as a husband, I'm like, man, this is a gold mine. I've got every birthday, anniversary, and Christmas covered. 
That's all I need to do. Just go <laughs> ahead, look at the shelves, see which one she has, remember what she doesn't, and then go to the store and buy them. And probably the third year into it, she came to me. It was Christmas, I think, at some point. said, Greg, I love you. I really don't want any more, <laughs> any more <laughs> precious moments, figurines. And in my mind, I know that sounds crazy, that was me living by a nice, comfortable law. I didn't, right. I didn't have to actually know my wife and know what she was interested in. I just had a checklist that I could do. And I think many people are attracted to that. It's mm-hmm. simpler. Um, I think that God, um, you know, if we can just know the, the things that I should do every week, it, it keeps my focus uh, a little more concentrated. I don't have to be distracted with actually living in a relationship with him where different situations come up and I'm led by the Spirit and I'm talking to other Christians and things are gray and nuanced. So I like the way you said, um, you know, the TV example. We've used mm-hmm. that one as well. Hey, maybe you do need to give it up. Maybe you yeah. don't. Uh, you know, maybe you are a guy that can't drink uh, yeah, because right. of your past and history, but hey, maybe you are a guy that can. Um, but wh- wherever you find yourself, walk through this, pray about this. So uh, can I ask you, Joe, what kind of... Um, feedback have you gotten from your first book did you get emails and letters people telling you it was very helpful it was very challenging they wanted more just uh, yeah. just curious the the response to uh to both books has has been uh pretty much the same um very kind and very encouraging notes um i was surprised to be honest with you how many women uh read and enjoyed note to self wow um, especially you know the cover is kind of dark and um, though they lightened it up, boy, it had blood on it and stuff before. Wow! Uh, but uh, they, I just, I was surprised. I just didn't think I wasn't thinking that much about a female audience, and so, um, but they really responded well to it. So when I wrote the second book, um, you know, I was just really just talking to myself. I even admit that in the front end, like th- I wrote this book for me, not for anybody else. <laughs> if, if if you if you, it's good for you too, then praise God. Yep. And. Um, and the response has been the same. So, uh, yeah, people have been very, very kind and very. I don't get. Yeah, it's a devotional for crying out loud. Like, who's going to get mad at me? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're not taking on a uh, your controversial topic per se that right. uh, you already know half of your audience is going to be predisposed to dislike. Uh, no, that's great. And I, I, I have found too, Joe. I think it's very honest of you to admit that. I mean, pastors who. I, you know, should be men. I, I I think I know where you are on that issue as well. Um, are um, naturally going to furnish examples that are masculine. <laughs> they just are right. you know male examples of life. Uh, although so many Christian women are out reading men, which should be an indictment on us. And uh, yeah, I've got a little experience with that too, where you're changing things and tweaking things. And oh, maybe I should give this application about uh, rather than guys hanging out at a bar, maybe it's women in a book reading. Uh, club reading Jody Picoult or something, and I think uh, you know you're, you're already connecting to a larger portion of your audience that would read anyway. So, uh, well, um, I know there's some other things to talk about, Nathan, but I just wanted to say note to self again, thank you for writing that book as well, Joe. Very, very helpful, I think, for for any Christian at any point in his life to have a devotional that's specifically focused, and it's easy. It's just uh, two pages, uh, you know, for each one. You said there were 48 of them. Uh, and it's just a great thought to take with you into the day. It's the kind of book you could keep and say, hey, I'm going to read this three or four years from now, too. So thank you. Yeah, well, actually, there's supposed to be 50 readings. Um, and I, I sent it off, and I, I thought there were, but I'm bad at math. Oh. So I sent it off. 
And they were like, yeah, there's 50, there's, there's 48. And I went, no, there's 50. And they said, no, there's 48. And I was like, oh, well. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that means you could take one week off a month, basically, something like that, right, to, uh, to make it work. So, uh, Joe, we actually do want to um, talk with you a little bit about um, anxiety because you, you struggle a lot with anxiety. And on this podcast, we've um, delved into um, the realm of depression. We've talked a little bit, um, touched a little bit on anxiety and things like that. And um, what was interesting was when we were talking, I had kept calling it depression. And you were like, well, I don't actually suffer from depression. I suffer from anxiety. Um, can you unpack that a little bit, um, just just for my clarification, if anything, um, so that I understand the difference? Because if if you were to talk with um, my wife, she would tell you that I don't come close to struggling with either, and so I therefore can't understand either and wouldn't understand the nuances of those. Now, you can think about it this way. Um, uh, think about it in terms of the difference between um, fear and sadness. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is, in a sense, fear, and depression is uh, a sadness. Mm-hmm. It's melancholy. It is, uh, you know, it's both are a dark cloud. Both are oppressive, mm-hmm. but emotionally, it, it sort of hits you in different ways. Both oftentimes produce the same effects in life, right? Uh, uh, lack of of of, of motivation mm-hmm. or of executing specific tasks and responsibilities, um, the the refraining from engaging uh, in, in responsibilities or new endeavors, um, relationship breakdowns, uh, and so on. But uh, yeah, the difference I think is probably just the difference between fear and sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you because you you've struggled with this and. Um, at the beginning of your second book, you talk about this a lot more and you talk about um, the idea of uh, medication and being on medication for this. Um, talk a little bit about that with us uh, as well as from the perspective of being a pastor. Um, how, how has this affected you and you know, just kind of your experience with anxiety? Well, the, 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 I guess the short lead into this is that um, – I had gotten good counsel in the midst of my anxiety and my my anxiety attacks. Um, I'd gotten good counsel. I had uh, been dealing with my life. I'd been adjusting my all of the issues that were contributing schedule, uh, you know, workload, responsibilities, uh, you know, sin, everything. I was mm-hmm. dealing with everything and still not finding relief. And so uh, I was encouraged by a man that I, I deeply respect. To uh, to talk to my doctor that I might need to be on medication because you know my, the, really at the heart of this there may be some some malfunction with my brain mm-hmm. and as as big and beautiful as I like to imagine it is <laughs> uh, it, it, it may not be working right and so um, I did I went and when the doctor said yeah you're kind of messed up here's what's happening we want to give you an, an anxiety pill you take it once a day and your brain should start to work better more normal again in a few months. So I did that, and about three months in, I felt normal mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Um, and so things have been very different since then. And the now I've never had a problem with people taking medication if there's a legitimate reason uh, mm-hmm. for mental illness, and I think that there are many. Uh, I don't think that 
I think it's, I mean, I think medication is overprescribed mm-hmm. and, and too readily given without dealing with other issues that may be relevant. And, you know, just like uh, Richard Baxter unpacks in his A Cure for Melancholy and Overmuch Sorrow, uh, even in the 17th century, he understood that, hey, sometimes your depression requires medication and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a sin issue or a faith issue. And sometimes it's not a sin or a faith issue. Uh, you're jacked up and you need some help yeah. uh, physically. So, so I, I haven't had a problem with that. But for me personally, the big takeaway was in the midst of my fear before I got healthy, it became very clear to me that I'm not a tough guy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a weak and frail man. Mm-hmm. which I've never considered myself before, despite my diminutive stature. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, I had to embrace that. Like, I, I'm just, uh, I'm like a little China doll. And, um, and when I got healthy again, and I, I felt like I had, you know, God brought me through the darkness, now I, I'm more convinced than ever that I remain a very weak and frail man. But the difference is now is I'm not afraid, and uh, I have more confidence than ever. Uh, not in myself, though, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, that that was the big takeaway. Is yeah, I've I've learned to embrace my weakness and um, not be embarrassed about it. And Joe, I know very few pastors who. Uh, well, let me phrase it like this: I know many pastors who have struggled with uh, anxiety and/or depression. I'm one of them. I know very few that admit it outside of maybe the most intimate circle of trusted friends. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I was so encouraged by your uh, just open, honest uh, forthrightness in your preface to experiencing the Trinity, sharing that even to the point that uh, you said, hey, I need, to, um, I need to take medication. And the balance you brought to it, brother, is great because you – you definitely made it very clear that, hey, the first thing you do when you're experiencing some anxiety or depression isn't run to a doctor and have him pull out his prescription pad. That may be something you need to do, but right. uh, whether you do that or don't do that, you're still going to need the, the help of trusted godly friends, your right. church, your family, people that you can open up to and talk to, uh, even uh, – oh. <laughs> I think I, I think that's the first time that's happened. Hey, that was my father calling. Um, so I'm dissing my father for Joe Thorne. Um, but I have to say, Joe, to uh, mention that so blatantly as you did uh, was a tremendous, uh, tremendous encouragement because you, I think you did it, again, in the right way. Um, and I think that um, a lot of people would probably say, hey, it, it, can, can a pastor – because I, I had this thing years ago, Joe, where I heard somebody at a conference. It was a Christian counseling conference. It was not from the front, but it was a side conversation in the hallway. Never forget it. I was walking by, and this one young guy, I don't know if he was a pastor-to-be or a seminarian, but a pretty young dude, and just said, well, I mean, a pastor could never be on medication. You you would have to resign. And I remember that, that sort of got into my uh, brain at that point, and... But why would somebody think that? Um, and I'm curious, Joe, why do you think that might be a lingering impression in some people's mind? Well, I think in general it's uh, – well, I'll, I'll say a couple things. I think some people are aware of the abuses of prescription drugs. 
Uh, and so they're swinging the pendulum the other way. So I understand it's, it's abused and, and they just think like, oh, it's, it's being overprescribed and they kind of overreact to it. Um, but in general, I, most people just don't know what they're talking about when it comes to mental health. Uh, they haven't, uh, you know, who, I mean, who takes the time to read books on mental health to right. understand the problems? You know who does? People who have, like, messed up brains. That's who does. People who yeah. actually have mental health issues. Those are the only people that are typically reading the books and trying to understand. And so they are oftentimes more equipped to understand the nuances of the issues than, say, you know, armchair quarterback, uh, seminarian, you know, theologians who – who want to speak into the issue, but have you know really spent the bulk of their time reading you know Burkoff, which is great, uh, but not not really reading uh, counseling material and scientific material on on mental health issues. So I, I think they just don't know. I think people don't know, and we like to think that things are you know every listen everything is spiritual, true, but um, not everything in in our physical existences. Uh, can be settled with prayer. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. when an organ is failing, we need a surgeon or a doctor to start cutting or start prescribing. Yeah. Yeah. And the brain is just uh, the brain is another organ that impacts how we feel, how we think. Mm-hmm. Well said, well, Joe. Well said. I've often thought that that uh, people will accept readily somebody with a heart condition or a lung condition. So these varying physical conditions most christians readily accept you know uh, i think it's very rare unless you're dealing with maybe a christian scientist type mentality that you would have somebody that would look at you funny for wearing eyeglasses or taking an advil uh right. you know but uh to say that hey the, the fallenness of man has actually touched brain chemistry too for some reason for some people that does seem no 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 that that can't be the case uh, so again, Joe, I think you've served the church well, and I'm just curious if you don't mind saying, how has your congregation responded to your openness with this, um, uh, more recent battle in your life over anxiety? Well, honestly, that's, that's probably why this whole issue is unfair in a sense. Um, my, I, 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 I'm the lead pastor of the best church in North America. It's just, uh, these people are amazing godly Christian people. We are a united family. Um, the gospel is at the center. Mission is what's pushing us. Like uh, These people are great. Wow. And I knew there would be no issue with me. Like No, one, no one's going to raise an eyebrow. They're just going to hug me. Yeah. And so I told my elders right away and um, told the congregation. I mean, it's just... I, and so because of that, like, I don't care what anybody, I don't care what people think out there uh, in the interwebs. Like, if, yeah. <laughs> you know, they can think I'm a bad preacher. They can think I'm a hack theologian, um, whatever. The people that I care about are right here. Right. And I love them and they love me. So it, the congregation has been extremely supportive. And, and I'll tell you what, this is, this is what, you know, in a sense it bothers me, but I also understand. If more pastors would just, you know, begin to say, uh, if they can't admit their own problems and they can't and they feel like I'm going to get burned if I start talking about my issues, at least begin to deal with the issue in a way that other people can understand. Right. That uh, that, it, that that you shouldn't be thinking of yourself as a second class Christian or a person who's not must not must not be a real believer because they have to take uh, some kind of uh, prescription drug to help them cope with depression. Uh, they 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 need to be leading and shepherding the people in such a way so that they understand both the, the, the frailty of, of human nature and the hope of the gospel, 
But then also in the context of that Christian life, what science can do to help us navigate our frailty better. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Joe. Thank you. And I'm, I'm with you. I do wish more pastors would speak about it openly. And it's, um, you know, to me, uh, it's similar to maybe uh, some of the fresh breezes that have blown into the local church in recent years in at least being able to discuss the entire homosexual issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, years ago, I think the church did in many ways do a disservice sure. by uh, one-dimensionalizing people that were battling the sin uh, mm-hmm. in, in such a way that uh, if, if you know, I mean, if you're a young guy, I, I had a young guy um, about two summers ago, Joe, I shared this with our church recently, great young kid, early 20s, good-looking, athletic kid, super bright, broke off his engagement to a wonderful girl uh, because he finally just said, I've been struggling with same-sex attraction mm-hmm. most of my life. And we met, we talked about it, and I asked this guy, who I'll call John, you know, I just um, said, John, what, can I ask, did you ever talk about this with anybody in your church? And he said, Pastor Greg, the, the last place I would ever consider sharing this was my church. It just broke my heart uh, right. because I thought, wow, for whatever reason, this kid, real or perceived, senses this stigma mm-hmm. um, so that, oh, this is an un. Talk. This is an untalkable issue in our church. Yeah. Can never be brought to light. Um, and there's other issues too. I mean, the Christian battling depression, maybe needing to take medication, or is taking medication, or taking two medications or three. Oh, I just I can't share that. You know, I, I've actually had people say, yeah, if it was only one, I could say it, but I'm on two. <laughs> so somehow, oh, you have tested the patience of God <laughs> by needing to be on two. And Man, um, it's the just whole thing shame. is heartbreaking because the church is supposed to be really the only safe place yes. in the world. It's the only because we're all admitted as sinners and we're all justified by grace. Yeah. We're the same. And so like in your relationships and in your community groups, we're really big on on that here. Um, that's where openness and vulnerability really needs to be taking place, where we are dealing with our garbage and our temptations. And again, by the grace of God, we have a very open con- – I mean, I have people just – they'll just come up and they'll start confessing. They'll just talk about what they're struggling with. And we had a guy you know, come in one time and say – he sat down with one of the pastors and he's like, all right, um, so here we go, uh, pornography, prescription pills – and uh, alcohol and, and weed, and wow. I'm out of control. And he knew he's not going to get the hammer dropping down on his skull. Yeah. Instead, the pastor's going to say, like, all right, I love you. Let's walk you through this, and, and I'm going to walk you through this in repentance. We're going to – and so even when we've had church discipline cases, uh, the people that have gone through it, they, all, they'll, they would all say church discipline is awesome, wow. and it was really mm-hmm. formative. So the church is supposed to be the super safe place, but – Either if it is relatively safe, but uh, but people aren't taking the steps to actually kind of confess, it can be confusing. But I tend to think if it really is a safe place, then somebody's going to start leading the charge and getting making people feel awkward and saying, "Here's what I'm struggling with right now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Joe, for you as a lead pastor in the church, to have such a handle on that, I mean, just an encouragement to me too, because I. I think it does have to be demonstrated. I think it has to be modeled. And I talk often how uh, it drives me nuts when pastors confess very safe sins, you know, sort of the, you know, sometimes, and I struggle too. Sometimes I feel like I don't spend enough time in prayer. Um, And I say, wow, what a devastating 
revelation. I mean, the Apostle Paul would have said that. Um, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of those things that uh, we find. Or yeah, sometimes I don't think I love the Lord as much as I should. No, no. I mean, the the the. And I, now, agreed. I mean, there are fine lines. I don't think it's wise. Right. And I think you would say that Joe to share every single struggle you have every day. You know, sure. co- coming in this morning, I had this particular dark, lustful thought about this particular person. And, oh, uh, and there she is. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> she's, she's row three, you know, right there. And, um, I mean, obviously, there is um, there is discretion. and there It's context appropriate. Guns. Exactly. Con- like, I can share some things uh, and use certain language when I, it's just me and a couple of guys. I'm going to use different language and, 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 and have different conversations with my wife versus a class of mixed company versus Sunday morning. Uh, I mean, at least this past Sunday morning, I was confessing because it was relevant how we, you know, we got onto this idea of that is sin. As much as we hate it, we only hate it uh, uh, when we're not loving it, right? And, yeah. and and it feels good. And and people know because my sins are pretty obvious. But you know, I, I was just saying how like man, I I like to talk, and when somebody is being a fool. Um, you know, out and we're out somewhere and like the nurse is being a pill to me uh, or yeah. to my family. I like to talk to her about that. Right. And I, I like to, I like to, I like to put the pressure on her and, you know, and, and they, people, and I just today, one of our sweet senior saints came up to me and uh, she said, you are more my son than my son in terms of like who you are as a sinner. She goes, you're just like me. Oh. And uh, and it, it just it, people find that it, I, mean, I mean you know that people people are very encouraged when they realize oh that's not a celebrity right that's not a superstar that's just a sinner that God has called to lead yeah. and who's been saved yeah amen Joe Joe uh, thank you so much it's it's been so great having you on we are actually um, winding down on our time here it seems uh, yeah that went fast see, yeah I know Greg you're giving me this look like what really. <laughs> Um, but uh, we do just uh, again thank you so much and we do want to be able to um, once again just tell our listeners out there we want to get one of Joe's books in your hands the first three people to uh, give us a review on iTunes again we cannot emphasize enough this is not for um, like Greg said our fame and celebrityism this is so that people can have access to this podcast more quickly. The better, um, the more reviews. I shouldn't say the better because uh, that that sounds bad. But the more reviews we have, so even if you're going to slam us, give us one star or no stars, whatever. Please write a review. We want to get one of these books from Joe into your hands. Um, let us know which one. Um, and they're escaping me right now. I'm sorry. I'm going on very little sleep right now. Great. I know you are, Take brother. The, uh... A note to self, which is the book we've talked most about on this podcast. Joe's first book came out in 2011. Uh, or his next book, which is uh, equally good, it, it, uh, if not better. We would have jumped on that if our uh, brothers at uh, Reform Pub did not do an excellent podcast with Joe on that a month or so ago, uh, which is called Experiencing the Trinity. So just say, hey. Uh, I'd like either or. Uh, this will be an ebook format. Uh, that way, we can get it out very, very quickly. God could get it out tonight if somebody emails uh, us and lets us know. Uh, we'll get that into your hands, and I, I'm sure you're going to find it uh, an incredible resource for you, uh, Joe. I mean, um, I, I feel like I can say this to you. We we had another guest on. I'll say this uh, several months ago, who's a pretty noted guy. So now, if anybody looks at our archive, they could probably guess. Good guy. And Nathan and I wanted to put this sound effect in because at one point at the end, Nathan said, hey, it was great having you with us. We know you're a busy man. We'd love for you to come back and join us sometime. 
And I said that there was a moment of silence. It would have been a great opportunity to put in the cricket soundtrack, you know, which I still want to go back to to that podcast. See if we can add it in and people could guess. But at some point, Joe, in the future, I could say we'd love to have you back on again uh, to talk. And can I ask Joe, are, are, do you have any plans for a third book potentially or anything floating around in your mind? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually working on a proposal and doing a lot of research right now on a big boy book, uh, one with like footnotes and research and yeah. all that. So, um, we'll see. I, I, I've, you know, I've talked to the publisher about it. They want to see a proposal. So, um, I'd appreciate prayers for that. Um, I mean, so let me address two things here. So that was number uh, three things. That was number one. Number two, um, I took my wife out on our first date afterwards. I said, Hey, this was awesome. She goes, yeah, it was fun. I said, we should do this again. And she goes, Oh, <laughs> so, um, in response to coming back on your on your podcast, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's yeah. something. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I I I like to like to hang out and talk. It's all I've ever done. I hang out with people and I talk. So, if you guys ever uh, want me to come on, uh, I'm I'm game to do it. I would absolutely love it. And number three, uh, not you guys, the listeners. Uh, don't be fools. Uh, rate the thing, rate the podcast, and give it all the stars. Yeah. <laughs> That's dumb. Like, if you're if you're listening to it and you're hating it, then quit it because you're yeah. probably sinning. So if you're listening to it, you like it. Go and rate it. Don't worry about the book. Yeah. Go and give it all the stars because that good Christian podcasts are rare. Yeah. There's a lot of terrible podcasts out there. So this is a good one. And uh, you should get out there and uh, make it happen. Support support these guys. Um, this is uh, this is a, this is a good podcast. I like it a lot. Man, thank you, Joe. That yeah. was very very kind. Just to tell people we didn't ask Joe to do it. Uh, well, well, your checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I know what you're thinking, Nathan. Wait, I better get a check first. <laughs> um, but no, thank you, Joe. And uh, great having you on, man. And we uh, will be eager to have you back whenever Absolutely. It's, uh, whenever it's the right time again. Yeah, I know. This Sounds has been good, fun. Guys. So thank you so much, Joe, Greg. We just rocked the Casper. Taylor Swift style. These guys are 11.